Thank you, Kathleen. That was beautiful. Thank you so much. Good to see everyone this morning, and uh, we're glad that you're here. You know, uh, 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 the things are changing, of course, and they've lifted the mask mandate and even, even social distancing. Uh, but uh, we honor everybody, of course, that feels more comfortable wearing a mask. We're even providing masks still out there. So if you've, you feel more comfortable wearing yours, we want you to do so. Karen and I both have had our vaccine, both shots, and so we, we should be COVID-free uh, and COVID-safe as much as that is uh, possible. So um, making progress, the end of this pandemic is in view, and so we praise the Lord uh, for that. By the way, we have with us this morning a very special lady. Her name is Lee Nall, and uh, she is one of our missionaries. She's with Friends of Israel, and she hasn't been here, I think, in about a year. Not only COVID, but she failed, was in the hospital, in rehab, and so forth, and she's here this morning. Raise your hand over there. There she is right there. God bless you. Amen. Amen. And then Paul Topons, I think first time you're back since your surgery as well. So we're glad you're here. God bless you. Amen. Amen. Well, I know everybody has seen the news and know that Israel is in conflict again. It's been going on ever since they were captives in Egypt. And that's a long time. And they're still in the conflict. The Bible instructs us to pray for the peace of Jerusalem, and right now there's no peace in Jerusalem. I want you to stand with me, please, and let's have special prayer for the peace of Jerusalem and for the nation of Israel and for protection. Father, we, we pray together as, as a church family for your protection for the people of Israel. We pray you'd protect all the innocent civilians, Palestinians, and Israelis. And uh, we pray you'd bring a, a swift end to this war. We pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And we pray that you would continue to work your will in that little tiny nation that is the key to biblical prophecy. We pray for them now, for their safety and for their peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you so much. You may be seated. You know, we, uh, we're going through the book of John verse by verse, and for the last two weeks, I, you know, I veered from that a little bit and spoke on a two-part a two series on the church. But uh, this morning, we're returning back to the Gospel of John. We're in chapter 15, where we have the parable of the vine and the branches. Uh, could be called a metaphor. Some people call it a parable, but... Uh, and it's one of these great passages of Scripture... I've already spoken on it once, verses 1 through 6. Verse 7 through 17 we're going to look at today. I'm going to recap a little bit because it's been three weeks uh, since I uh, preached from those first six verses. And of course it all has to fit together to properly uh, understand it. So look at chapter 15 and verse 7. Again, let me. this is the upper room discourse. This is Jesus teaching his disciples how they're going to live after he dies and ascends back to heaven. This is the night before the cross. Jesus will be hanging on the cross by 9 o'clock in the morning, and he's sharing these tremendous truths with his disciples before he goes. 
And so in verse 7, he says, If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified that you may bear much fruit. So shall you be my disciples. Father, bless your word to our hearts now, we pray. <clears throat> In Jesus' name, amen, amen. You may remember that three weeks ago I shared with you some things about Hudson Taylor, the founder of China Inland Mission. <clears throat> He was just a youth when he came to Christ for salvation and was saved. Then at the age of 17, he answered the call to serve as a missionary in God's kingdom. At age 21, he went to China and then established the China Inland Mission. The gospel had never gone uh, in uh, to, the, uh, to China. And he and his missionaries brought the gospel to the people of China, inland China, for the very first time. It was a tremendous mission work. He had been on the mission field 15 years when he experienced something that he would call the exchange life. Or really, it's, uh, it's the abiding life. It's the life that we're talking about here. It's what Jesus is teaching us here in John 15. And... Uh, as his biography would say, his writings would say, he, he, didn't, he didn't know how to share this message in written form until he came across a little booklet written by Harriet uh, Beecher Stowe. And, uh, and he passed that out to all of his missionaries. Now, at the time, we don't know exactly how many missionaries he had. We know he had 800 over the period of his lifetime there. And so, to hundreds of missionaries, he sent out this little pamphlet, little booklet. And uh, this is part of what it says. And again, he's sending it out to explain what he has now experienced, the abiding life. After, remember, he used to be a burden man, very little joy or peace, always worried about things. He had so many burdens on him to take care of. But after he came to learn to abide in Christ, he was now a peaceful man with no anxiety and so forth. And uh, he wanted to share that with the missionaries. The little booklet from uh, uh, Harriet Stowe is called How to Live on Christ. And, uh, and he, this is what he sent out. Now, this is just a paragraph from it, two pieces. She writes, How does the branch bear fruit? Not by insistent effort for sunshine or air, not by vain struggles for the vivifying influences which give beauty and blossom. It simply abides in the vine in silent and undisturbed union. The blossoms and fruit appear as of spontaneous growth. And then taking it to application to us, how then shall a Christian bear fruit? By efforts and struggles to obtain that which is freely given? By meditations on watchfulness or on prayer or on actions, on temptation or on dangers? No. There must be a full consecration uh, uh, and a full concentration of the thoughts and affections on Christ himself a complete surrender of the whole being to him 
a constant looking to Him for grace. Uh, and uh, Christians in whom these, uh, this dispos disposition are once firmly fixed go on calmly as an infant born in the arms of its mother. Christ reminds them of every duty when, it's, when time and place comes. And then she, one more phrase. She said, living this way is living in an oft-repeated, childlike surrender to the whole being to the person of Christ. Now, I have that entire little brochure on a piece of paper that looks like this for all of you to take with you. It was written in uh, 1847. And uh, this, this is what he sent to all of his missionaries. Uh, and so you can pick one of those up as you leave today. I hope you will. So the abiding life. Now, I want to I quickly move through those first verses and look through at some key words again because we can't understand this second portion without fully understanding that first portion. So if you look at your screen again, the key words go like this. The true vine, that's the Lord Jesus, of course. The husbandman, sometimes called a vine dresser, vine, vineyard keeper, gardener, farmer, that's the father. And then the branches are true believers. Remember we talked about that because they are attached to the vine. They have a vital union with the vine, so they must be true believers. And then uh, uh, the fruit uh, is Christian character, the fruit of the Spirit. You remember the word love, joy, and peace appear over and over in this context where he's teaching this. And that is, of course, the beginning of the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, so it's Christ-likeness. That's the fruit Jesus wants to produce in me and in you. Christ-likeness, the fruit of the Spirit. And, uh, and then the most important of the key words I put up there, it's the key word of all the key words, and that is abide. And that's what we're to do in order to bear this fruit. Uh, and uh, abide means to stay connected to the vine. A branch stays connected to the vine, has a healthy connection, it will bear fruit. Uh, draw life from the vine. Uh, a branch has no life of its own. It has to draw life from the vine. We have no spiritual life of our own. We draw it from Christ, who is the giver of life. And then yield to the vine. That is, the branch doesn't make any decisions on its own. It just does what the vine wants. And then it rests in the vine, letting the vine produce in the branch what is uh, what it needs. Now, when we apply that to ourselves along with the vine, it looks something like this. Stay connected to the vine. How do we do that? We do that through fellowship and communion. <coughs> we have a relationship that is unchanging. But this, this passage is talking about more than relationship. It's talking about fellowship. How do you and I stay connected? Fellowship and communion. Fellowship, when we sin, we have to confess our sins, as John would say, and 1 John 1, 9. And when we do, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And uh, so that we can continue on in fellowship. And communion is simply that. Communing. Talking to him. Drawing from him. And then the second thing is we, the vine draws, or the branch draws life from the vine. And so do we. How do we do that? By dependence and faith and trust 
We need some peace today. Our peace has gotten raveled, and, and then we draw that peace from Christ. We draw that joy. You need some patience today. Your patience have uh, come to an end. You draw patience from Christ and love and whatever need we have in our lives. We draw it from Christ, just as the vine or the branch draws from the vine. And then yielding to the vine, when it comes to us, that looks like surrender and obedience. We surrender to His Lordship, and then we obey all that we know that He wants us to do. We, we give loving obedience. And then the last one is rest in the vine. Remember, the, the branch doesn't struggle or strain to try to produce this fruit. It just simply makes sure it's resting in the vine. So for us, that means letting the Lord do the work that only He can do. You and I can fake a little bit of Christ-likeness, but it doesn't last very long till that pretend comes to an end, you know. Uh, so we have to let the Lord produce real love, real joy, real peace and patience and kindness and meekness and so forth in us. And so uh, we have this, these uh, key words, and I'm going to come back to that in just a moment. Now look at verse, with the key words in mind, look at verse 1, and we're going to read through these six verses. I am the true vine, my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit he taketh away. Remember last week we spent some time on this word take away. It's one word in the Greek. Most of the time it's translated lift up in the, in the King James. The one word can be translated to lift up. And that's the primary uh, translation according to Strong. Uh, lift up or take away. You say, how could it mean two things? They, they seem opposite. They're really not opposite. If you take something up, you remove it from where it originally was. That's the reason it can be translated both ways. Now, if you look at your screen again for a moment, uh, you'll see this uh, verse 1 and 2 from Contextual Linguistics Translation. I am, the, uh, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he lifts up. He lifts up. It can be translated that way, or it can be translates, translated takes away. And I spent a lot of time on that last time. If you want more information on that, go back to the, the, the first part three weeks ago and, uh, and uh, look at that with me. Now, come back to your text. Every branch, uh, or the branch that, every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. Verse 2, or he lifts up. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I, and I in you, as the branch can, uh, cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me you can do nothing." That is, you can do nothing towards bearing genuine spiritual fruit, Christ-likeness. Uh, if a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered. And the men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. Now, some people 
would say this verse means people lose their salvation and end up in hell. Or some people would say a branch uh, never was truly saved. But the branches, remember, it's connected to the vine. A, a person who only professes and doesn't really know Christ is not connected to the vine. Uh, and I shared with you Dr. Ryrie and a scholar from Pensacola Christian and so forth who, who all believe, uh, many scholars believe that this is not referring to hell at all, but it's referring to a, a Christian whose life is wasted and withered up. Even the pronouns change. He's been using the first and second person pronouns like I and me and you. Here, he changes to they. So what goes into the fire is they, not you, not who he's talking to. They, the branches. The branches go into a fire. It was a common thing. You'll see it on the video today, throwing the branch in the fire. So it's the idea of a wasted life, um, Christian life. Now, there's plenty of places in the Bible that speak about hell, the real hell. Uh, I just don't think this is one of them. The word burned there means to be consumed. In hell, people are not consumed. Hell is eternal, and so is the souls of men and women. And then we come to verse 7. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. The Amplified puts that, my words abide in you. The Amplified puts it, my words remain in you and continue to live in your heart. The word there has the idea of living in the heart. This is more than memorizing Scripture, as great as that is. It's more than being able to teach or preach, as great as that is. It's about the Word of God being us being so saturated with the Word of God that it controls the way we think and our worldview and what we want in life. Uh, and so it is uh, the idea of that, the Word of God permeating us. And, uh, and then he gives us that great promise. I, if you abide in me, that's what we've been talking about, and my Word abide in you, you shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. Now, surely this doesn't mean that you and I can pray for a million dollars and somebody will bring it to the house tomorrow. Uh, that's not what it means, nor any other selfish prayers. You know, James says you, you, uh, you ask and receive not because you ask amiss that you might consume it upon your own desires. Uh, this is not a promise that we can get anything we want. It's a promise that we can get what we need particularly in the area of bearing fruit, since that's the whole subject here. So if you want to you be like Christ, and you really want to be like Christ more than anything else, then you can pray about that. You can pray for that peace you need, and the joy you need, and the love you need to share, and the strength to say no to sin. You, you uh, pray, you receive that from Christ in prayer. Dr. John Phillips, the great scholar from... Moody Bible Institute says the key to getting what you want is wanting what he wants. <laughs> and then uh, he also says the Lord Jesus, uh, when our entire beings are influenced by the indwelling Christ and, the, and uh, the eternal words of the Lord Jesus, then we can ask and it shall be done. For the simple reason that there is nothing out of harmony between what we want 
and what he wants. So this is a great promise of prayer in the context of abiding. Look at verse 8. Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. So shall you be my disciples. Us living Christ-like lives here on earth glorifies the Father. And it's what discipleship is all about. We, we are becoming, uh, we're becoming more like Him in our, and developing in our discipleship. Discipleship is not a one-time thing. You get saved one time, you become a part of the family of God. That's eternal and that's glorious and wonderful. But you begin to really be a disciple when you begin to study under somebody and, and you begin to follow their teaching. And so you really become a disciple of Christ when you begin to bear his image in this world. It glorifies the Father and it, uh, it's what real genuine discipleship is. Verse 9, as the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue in ye in my love. You know, we read over this. We've read it many times in our lives. We read over it and we... It's easy to miss the, to miss the impact of this verse. Think how much the Father loves the Son. The eternal Father and the eternal Son. The love that they share. Think of how much the Father loves Jesus. Well, that's how much Jesus loves you and me. Wow. An everlasting love, an unchanging love. A love that loves us when we're, when we're down and discouraged and beat up. And a love that loves us when things are going well. Regardless of the circumstance, He loves us. Verse 10 says, If you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love. So, remember, obedience is a part of that abiding. So he's still referring back to the idea of abiding. In uh, obedience, you abide in my love. Uh, if you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love, even as I have kept the Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might be remain in you, and that your joy might be full. The Amplified puts that fullness of joy like this. Uh, full, uh, full joy compacted and flowing over. Jesus wants us to be joyous. But we, we get joy by abiding in Christ and drawing from Him everything we need, the strength to face the difficulties, and the joy we need as well. We draw that joy from Christ as a branch draws from the vine. It's His joy. One scholar said, heaven has a... Heaven has a Heaven is the producer, excuse me, of joy, and the Lord Jesus has the monopoly on it. He's the giver of joy, and he's the only one. Now, happiness, you know, we use that word a lot in our language, happiness, and happiness is good. It comes from a word that means something that's happening, a happenstance. So if everything's happening really good, you might be happy things start happening bad, you won't be so happy. But joy doesn't, joy doesn't uh, depend on good things happening. Joy comes from Christ himself as we draw from the, from the vine as his branches. He wants us to have joy, his joy, that our joy might be full. 
This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Now, he's already said that once to them in this same sermon. Love each other the way I love you. And he loves us the way the Father loved him. Boy, we ought to really love each other, shouldn't we? <laughs> Not let the devil get between us and, and cause aggravations and splits and problems and families and businesses and churches too, for that matter. And then it says, uh, Jesus says, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. That's the love that Jesus gives to us. A love that laid down his life for our sins. Aren't you thankful for that? And he calls us friends. I've always loved that. Because even though he's Lord and Master and Sovereign, he wants to be my friend. And he wants me to be his friend. Friendship's got two sides, doesn't it? You befriend somebody, they befriend you, and you've got to keep up that friendship, you know, and, and so forth. Well, Jesus has already shown his friendship to us by going to the cross and dying for us. And then the next verse is going to tell us we show our friendship to him by loving obedience. Says, he says, you are my friends. Look at verse 14. You are my friends if you do whatsoever I command you. Now, this is not a condition that he's going to withdraw his love or friendship from you if you're not in obedience. Not at all. His, his friendship to us is eternal. But it's how we respond to that. It's our friendship to him that is conditioned on loving obedience. Jesus is going to talk about friends again in verse 15. It's like... It's like he was kind of rejoicing in that word for his disciples. You're my friends. Verse 15, Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth, what, knoweth not what his Lord is doing. But I have called you friends, for all things that I have heard of my Father have I made known unto you. Now, is it, is it still okay for us to say we're servants of the Lord? Absolutely. The uh, Paul and other uh, writers of epistles call themselves servants of the Lord. And uh, so he's not doing away with that idea of servanthood. He's adding to it. Some servants in people's home were, were nothing but like a slave or an employee. But some servants were friends of the master. This word friend here was used as, a, uh, as the best man in a wedding. It was also used, and this probably fits what Jesus is talking about here better than anything, something that in this day was called the friends of the king. Then the king would have a bunch of subjects hundreds of thousands of subjects and he had a lot of employees and a lot of servants and a military and a lot of things like that but there was an inner circle around the king that he trusted completely and they knew everything that was going on he shared everything with them and they were called the friends of the king you and I are friends of the king <laughs> think about it the king of glory and he's our friend. And I'm glad he is. 
Then verse 16. Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain, continue. That whatsoever you shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you, give it to you. And again, the idea of praying in Jesus' name is praying according to his merit before the Father and according to his will. Again, the idea of the Lord's will uh, being in our hearts and our desire to do his will is what gives us then the, uh, the promise of answered prayer regarding his will. Now, he says, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. Sometimes Calvinists make a big deal about this phrase. But it certainly does not have to refer to Calvinist doctrine at all. Excuse me just a minute. Um, he chose them. He chose his disciples. The contrast is that in Jesus' day, everybody knew that the people chose the master and became his disciple but in spiritual things the Lord Jesus is always the initiator he initiates we respond that's true in salvation he he's paid the price for us then he comes and knocks at our heart he convicts us of sin the Holy Spirit and and then we respond but he's the initiator but here, really, the reference is to service. Go. He wants them to go and bear fruit. And he chooses and appoints us to certain places of service. It would never cross my mind to say that I chose to be a pastor. It would never even cross my mind. That thought's nowhere in there. I believe that the Lord called me, or to use the word here, he appointed me. He ordained me to be a pastor. Uh, and so it is with, with all of us. We've got a, every one of us have a place of service somewhere in the body of Christ, somewhere in the church. So pray about it. Seek God's will and then go out there and bear some fruit. Now, Christ's likeness is not just the fruit of the Spirit, but Christ had a burden for lost people and he shared the gospel with the lost people. That's a part of Christ's likeness. And so he wanted them to go, share the message, bear some fruit, and real genuine fruit will last. It will remain. True fruit will remain. And then uh, he comes down to verse 17. These things I command you that you love one another. Again? That's the second time in this in in just a few verses, and he already said it before. It's just three times in this one sermon. He wants us to love one another. Do you know a friend's friend should be a friend? Other believers are friends of Christ. That should make them your friend. You should treat them as such. Picture for a moment the church as a big old wheel and uh, with a hub in the middle and spokes running out. The hub is the Lord Jesus. The closer, and we're the spokes, the closer you get to the hub, 
the closer you are to each other. The further away you get from the hub, the further away you get from each other. I've seen it thousands of times, and you have too in your lifetime. Somebody that gets away from the Lord, they're still one of his spokes, but they don't like anybody else now. They're mad at people at the church, and they're mad at this one, and mad at that one, and can't get along with this one. If you stay close to the hub, you'll stay closer to all the spokes in there. And if you can't get along with somebody, if you're having trouble with somebody, just get a little closer to the hub. That's the secret. And you'll be able to love your brothers and sisters in Christ. Let me show you another slide here in kind of a summary. The progression through time, learning to abide like Hudson Taylor did and many others through the years. First of all, discovering our own nothingness. You know, in verse 5 it said, Jesus said, Without me you can do nothing. We spend a lot of time as believers, and me, and me too, and I'm not, uh, I'm not criticizing. This is a part of the process. But we spend a lot of time trying hard to be better, gritting our teeth and saying, Next time I'm not going to do that. I've just made up my mind. I'm not going to do that. Then we end up doing it. Now, Christian life is up and down and so forth. All of those failures help us to realize our own need. When it comes to bearing genuine spiritual fruit, you and I can do nothing on our own. Our best is a poor imitation of the life of Christ. And that's a very frustrating thing to try to keep up. And then, along the time process, we learn His sufficiency. We encounter His sufficiency. We, we come to know from the Bible and from our study and from our own experience that He is sufficient for whatever we need. And then we begin to learn to abide. Experiencing ongoing abiding. Now, abiding is not black and white. You, you, you begin to learn to abide, and even your abiding is up and down, and you don't abide as much as you should. But as you, as you do abide and you get stronger, then you abide a little more and a little more. And there's a progression until we're abiding more. We never, of course, arrive at any kind of sinless perfection or anything like that. We're talking about growth here, spiritual growth, development. And then I remind you that in the, uh, in the text we have a progression of fruit bearing. Once you start to abide, uh, you can bear fruit. We start out with no fruit. And the Father lifts us up, cleans us up out of the mud and uh, helps us to bear fruit. And then there is fruit, and then there's more fruit, and then there's much fruit. So even after we begin to abide, we're working towards more and much fruit. I want to close with something from, again, about Hudson Taylor. He was 36 when he began to abide in Christ and began to experience the joy and peace from heaven. He's 60 years old when this is written about him. It's written by a pastor, uh, McCartney, from Milburn, Australia. 
And he says about Hudson Taylor, he was an object lesson in quietness. He drew from the bank of heaven every penny of his daily income. Then he quotes, my peace I give unto you. <laughs> like drawing money out of a bank, he drew peace out of the bank of heaven. <laughs> and it says, whatever did not agitate the Savior did not agitate him. And then he goes on to say, he knew nothing of rush or hurry or quivering nerves or vexation of spirit. He knew there was a peace that passeth all understanding and he couldn't do without it. Then he tells, this guy tells a little bit about his own life, that he was a nervous person and worried and, and anxious all the time. He was a pastor, and, uh, but he had very little peace of mind and very little really closeness to the Savior. He says, and I'm quoting now again, Keswick teaching, as it is called, was not new to me at the time. Now, Keswick is the name of a, a city in England, and it was where they would have Bible conferences, and in these Bible conferences, they talked about deeper truths of the Scripture, like we're talking about here, the abiding and so forth. And, uh, and so it become, the teaching itself become known as Keswick teaching. Uh, coming from the name of the city. So he says he was familiar with Kes Keswick teaching. Not only had he heard it, but I'll read, it, I'll read now. I'm quoting him again. I had received those glorious truths and was preaching them to others. But this was the real thing. <laughs> he says, now I'm seeing it lived out. That's, that's different. He says it was an embodiment of Keswick teaching such as I had never hoped to see. It impressed me profoundly. Here was a man, 60 years of age, bearing tremendous burdens, yet absolutely calm and unruffled. He goes on to say, he did this by an act of faith as simple as it was continuous. Yet he was delightfully free and natural. I can find no words to describe it except what the scripture says. This was true abiding of John 15, end of quote. So it didn't just help him for a while. It became a part of his life for the rest of his life. You want that peace and joy and patience? I know I do. More and more, we have to trust him and abide in him. Now we're going to notice... Look at this little video. It's only about two minutes. And it takes that whole from verse 1 on through verse 17. It's going to start out dark. So don't think something's wrong with the video. They are in the dark walking. Remember, they left the upper room now and they're walking. And many scholars feel like they were probably walking through a vineyard when Jesus gave them this teaching about the parable and the vine. So let's watch this together. I am the real vine, and my father is the gardener. He breaks off every branch in me that does not bear fruit, and he prunes every branch that does bear fruit, so that it will be clean and bear more fruit. You have been made clean already by the teaching I have given you. Remain united to me, and I will remain united to you.
A branch cannot bear fruit by itself. It can do so only if it remains in the vine. In the same way, you cannot bear fruit unless you remain in me. I'm the vine. And you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will bear much fruit. For you can do nothing without me. Those who do not remain in me are thrown out like a branch and dry up. Such branches are gathered up and thrown into the fire. For they are burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, then you will ask for anything you wish, and you shall have it. My Father's glory is shown by your bearing much fruit, and in this way you become my disciples. I love you, just as the Father loves me. Remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My commandment is this, love one another just as I love you. The greatest love you can have for your friends is to give your life for them, and you are my friends, if you do what I command you. I do not call you servants any longer because servants do not know what their master is doing. Instead, I call you friends because I have told you everything I heard from my father. You did not choose me. I chose you and appointed you to go and bear much fruit, the kind of fruit that endures. And so, the father will give you whatever you ask of him in my name. This then is what I command you. Love one another. Bow your heads with me, please. Maybe today you, you know you need this life of abiding. Maybe you've started on that journey and things have been up and down and so forth. And I encourage you to keep on that journey. Or maybe this teaching is a little bit new to you and you haven't understood it very well and you understand it a little better now and you want to start this abiding process. We're going to sing a hymn of invitation and give people a chance to come if they would like to come. So if you would stand with me, please. If you'd just like to come for prayer, we invite you to come, whatever the need may be, as we sing together. Have thine own way, Lord, have thine own way. Thou art the potter, I am the clay. Mold me and make me after thy will. While I am waiting, yield it and still. Have thine own way, Lord, have thine own way. Let's sing it to the Lord. Search me and try Let's let it be our prayer. Master today, whiter than snow, Lord, wash me just now. As in thy presence, humbly I bow. Thank you so much. Thank you. And all God's people said?
Amen. Father, thank you for our time together. We're all in different places in this journey. Some of us are still discovering our own nothingness. And some of us are discovering your sufficiency. And those things overlap each other. We learn some of them at the same time. And some of us are learning to abide. Teach us. Teach us to abide that we might bear your fruit, that we might bear your image. Bless us as we go. Again, ask in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Now be seated, and Pastor Jason is going to come, and Karen and I, I'm going to be out in the lobby. You know, things are changing. We're getting a little bit more back to the normal. I'm not going to be hugging or shaking hands, but I am going to be in the lobby and bump elbows and wave and that kind of thing. Uh, so if you want to go by... Uh, We'd love to see you. Now, everybody in here can't go by me, of course. We'd be, we would have a traffic jam there. So uh, come by me if you'd like to, though. I look forward to seeing you. Pastor Jason.